Welcome, Monica, to the Shadow Playground. It is a pleasure having you today. This is a space to explore playful joy, conflict, shadow, and anything related to those themes. I'm excited to have you here. We've had a few conversations and interactions, and I just noticed how much light and brightness you bring, uh, both to your practices, professional practices, and just in your personal life. So I'm looking forward to diving in with you today. Thank you so much for inviting me as I love the description of this podcast idea and I'm just excited to be with you today. Nice shared as well. Do you want to start just by perhaps saying a few words about yourself for someone who's never heard of Monica? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I am a Toronto-born, Montreal-based artist, educator, entrepreneur. And, uh, and what I do in my day-to-day -day is learning experience design. So design experiences for youth and adults to learn um, in ways that are holistically healthy. And, uh, and then aside from that, I just love singing. I love art. I love promoting art as um, an important cultural vector. And um, so singing is my, my absolute passion. I sing in gospel choirs. I also have my own work out. So yeah, just balancing the educator and the artist in me. So what I do. Nice, I love that, that balance, having both those sides being present. And I imagine you just during one of your learning experience moments, just bursting out into song in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you would think, but I don't. It's so funny. Like so many people are like, oh, sing, sing something. You know, they put you on the spot like that. And it's like the most awkward. It's like the, the least conducive environment of being like, I feel like singing something, you know? But uh, not right. yet. The least conducive because singing, as I understand it, is all about self-expression and celebration what you're feeling and so someone saying say like share this it's kind of like an order is just not going to lead to anything yeah but at the same time you know it's just led me to think why is it why do I have this kind of blockage why aren't I able to share on the spot you know um so yeah it's just more it's 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 had me look into my own confidence around singing or the ways that I like to share share most but I have friends oh my goodness it's like you ask them to sing they're like what would you like to sing you know um and it's funny just speaking of which like there's this I live in the plateau area and there's this gentleman who drives around in his bends singing La Vion Rose like an operatic version of it like and or if he's not in his car he's walking his dog doing the same in the park and I'm like thank you thank you yes it's so liberating you know mm, that is liberating and I mean I'm loving the image of him just driving around this, this one song <laughs> <laughs> and what do you think is the difference between someone in the context of singing someone who feels liberated to uh, to go around and sing uh, freely or sing on command and someone who has that sort of uh, that tension or that like nope I don't feel comfortable with this what would you say that the difference is between those two people 
I think what I've come to realize is that um, it's how that person relates to that form of expression. So for example, in the past, when people would ask me like, oh, sing something. In my head, I likely thought, oh, I'm not good enough, or I will be judged, or um, just things coming stemming from insecurities. Whereas I think people who express themselves liberally have a healthy relationship to that craft where they're just like, yes, this is my form of expression. And if I share, other people will be, you know, encouraged to share. It's it's really, yeah, it's I've I've spent a lot of my life thinking I have to get to a certain level of professionalism or training within uh, my voice. And the more I've eased into learning for the sake of sharing this sacred form of expression and just you know because we're all like I think humans are inherently musical inherently movement-based you know the the beat of our heart kind of shows us that we've had we have a rhythm in us and we have a musicality in us and children you can see it in, in young children how easily and quickly they all just like are in like in rapture around music and and love to create you know I think it's really sad what's happened to adults um, over the course of our development is that we we haven't had enough of that infused in in our in our personal development to understand how much of a natural part of us it is. So to come back to what you're saying, I think that the difference is really someone recognizing, oh, this is a natural part. I'm just going to share, you know. Uh, versus someone else who's kind of locked in like oh you know I only sing when I'm hired for gigs and once I've uh, warmed up my voice and stuff like that you know yeah that's explained really clearly the difference between looking at an angle of judgment or from an ego or fear and the other one sort of thinking this is my natural sort of right and this is actually a connection to the sacred and I will just share it and there's such different angles of the same thing Absolutely. You can, you can make a profession out of a natural gift that everybody's been given, you know? Um, but yeah, all part of liberation, you know? All part of liberation. Yeah. And we'll, we'll loop back to this idea of liberation. I wanted to take a moment just to ask you uh, a question around moments, um, a moment of play as an adult and also a moment of play as a child. So it doesn't need to be the biggest, strongest, best moment. Just a moment that you felt that when you felt really alive and playful, both as an adolescent and as a child. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so when I was a kid, I used to um, have a camcorder very often in my hand. And with my best friends, we would film these scenes. So we would just inhabit these different characters and we're always just improvising. And I loved that. I loved it so much. And one day with my best friend, Samantha, I'll never forget this. We actually, uh, we had finished filming a few scenes and then we were like, okay, let's just do some prank calls. Because obviously who hasn't done prank calls when they're, you know, when they're young. And um, we called this random office and I put on this accent, which nowadays would be questionable. But of course, back then I was imitating um just an ethnic accent <laughs> and um it was called chapsack noodle and i was calling on behalf of chapsack noodle restaurant 
asking if the the people at the office had ordered chop sack noodle and it was just hilarious exchange of like did anyone order chop sack noodle <laughs> it was like and my friend and i were just dying on the other end like yes yes did you order chop sack noodle and um anyway so i just i recall that as being a really really incredible moment of of just rapture of just you know just really being engrossed in improvisation and not knowing where it's going to go and and but at the same time keeping things light and and you know not harming anyone in this you know but it was just it was great so when when i was young i remember a lot of those moments of improvisation just like shooting the shit having fun not really worrying too much about outcomes <laughs> being being part of that um it also just happens that, that specific moment, like just it, there's such a there's kind of like encroaching on societal norms, like you're being yes. you're being bad, but it also sounds hilarious and it's safe. It's somehow all that mixed together. Yeah, well, in fact, like at the time, we didn't think we were harming anyone, right? I think part of the liberation or that feeling of rapture came from this innocence around, like, you know, we knew that ultimately, morally, what we're doing is not bad, right? Um, we're not harming anybody. Maybe we're wasting somebody's time, but you know, everyone knows that you could use a break from work from time to time, you know. But um, it was also this kind of um, blissful ignorance around what I think now, you know, in, uh, imitating um, an accent like that might not be viewed very well, especially if an adult were to do it. So I would obviously think twice about, you know, the appropriateness and appropriation and, and all those kinds of things that we now have to think about. Um, yeah, it was just that kind of blissful ignorance, you know, mm -hmm. not trying to glorify it too much, but there is something to be said about the freedom that comes with that, I think. Um, and then when I'm an adult, yeah, I don't know. I just, those moments of spontaneity of being like, fuck it, let's get in the car and drive, you know, drive up to the wrenches and just, you know, spoil ourselves for a weekend or, I don't know, just having these ideas of adventures, mini adventures to take are times when I really feel liberated. Um, yeah, and so most recently for my aunt's 80th birthday, for example, she's turning 80. And this woman had, like, you wouldn't tell, like she does like 50 laps around these like, olympic sized field use <laughs> tracks you know like a day she's just something else and i was like no i'm gonna i'm gonna bring her over to montreal and we're gonna go and spoil ourselves for a weekend and it was just kind of like done on a whim and uh because i know that you know she's 80 and these these things you have to kind of seize these these monumental periods you know oh yeah you got to enjoy it especially when you're in a state we can run laps you know at 80. There's something that I'm hearing it in what you're saying, like the like the interdit, like the um the forbidden, like and the playfulness of the forbidden, like, oh my god, I'm gonna just take the car and go to the mountains for the whole weekend, or like spa day, or it's like, oh, oh my gosh, we're gonna call these people and we're gonna pretend we're someone else. And that's uh, that forbidden nature is something that um kids play with a lot kind of pushing the boundaries of what's okay and often adults don't um you know games like um 
too much of your, like, what's it called? Knock, knock, ginger, where you'd knock on someone's door and then you'd run away. And I don't think I've ever seen an adult playing that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's a thing. It becomes less forgivable, less, like, um, yeah. It's, it's, I find it unfortunate because it's, it's harder to justify play as adults and it shouldn't be. You know, the definitions of play become more and more constrained. Um, yeah. Well, so for you on that spectrum of, you know, forbidden to sort of very ordinary, almost sort of, <laughs> what would be an example of sort of very ordinary play thing that would be perhaps a bit boring for you? And what would be an example on the other extreme of something that would be forbidden, but playful, but intriguing? Oh my God. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Um, so the examples that I gave you about like spa, getting away, I think those are more on actually the boring side. It's just like, you know, given the day-to-day-ness of, of, of routines, we all have them, you know, get up, coffee, work, even if you determine your own schedule, there is still that routine, right? Um, so I would say that that's more on like the beige side of things, um, more forbidden. I like I sometimes I, I I walk by buildings and I'm like, oh, I just I want to go and see. Like I want to enter into that like abandoned building and just walk around. Um, you know the old Victoria Hospital here mm-hmm. in Montreal. I, I once with my ex, we went in after it had been uh, emptied out and we went up to like the third floor. I'm like 29 at this point. Like, um, and we see that there's like a, a coat hanger that's been like twisted. People have tried to get on the floor and you look, we looked inside the floor, like the window from the staircase. And it looked like, you know, a, a post-apocalyptic scene, like there were some rooms where there were machines, papers kind of still littered on the floor. Like it looked like people got up and left and that, you know, the space hadn't been revisited since. And yeah, like going into areas, zones that are that are blocked off or that aren't, you know, explored, that kind of thing. Um, when I was living in Armenia, um, because Armenia was part of the Soviet Union, after the, the Soviet Union collapsed, Russia just kind of up and left. And so um, when you go around the countryside in Armenia, you see a lot of buildings that are sh- just the shells of buildings. Basically, they, they've been gutted of all of the, whether it was machinery in the case of industrial buildings or, you know, the, the contents of domestic settings, that kind of stuff. And or you'll have constructions that are just like the 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 outside was built and no windows were put in, nothing, you know, there's this kind of sense of half doneness and uh so we would we would go into these spaces and i just yeah exploring these these um unconventional spaces is definitely something that i that i feel and experience on a day-to-day basis a desire of wanting to do mm, that's beautiful and we're this is the space that we're in right now is this it's a notion of a shadow playground and you're literally going into these abandoned shadow potentially danger dangerous potentially forbidden buildings but I sense that there's also the sense of aliveness like you're going in and you're like what am I going to discover what is happening in this place yeah yeah and actually like um after I came back from Armenia I got into I was doing my MA at 
McGill. And I was like becoming a proponent for these uh, junkyard playgrounds. It's like this concept, uh, I think it was, it's, you know, it's piloted all over the world, but there was one junkyard playground in particular, I think it was in Wales, where it's like a very dangerous environment with like tires and glass, broken glass and all this. And, and the concept is that, you know, willing parents allow their children to go into this playground and figure it out, figure out their own safety, work around these, these dangers. And there are, of course, these um, monitors who are like not so intrusive, but who are monitoring from the side and making sure that, you know, no child ultimately really, really harms themselves. But this idea of allowing people to figure it out, I think I, I became a really big proponent of that as a result of being exposed to and exploring environments that were less safe in Armenia. What do you think that some of the, the impacts are or have been for you on exploring these environments or doing these playful yet somewhat illicit, you know, prank calling activities? What do you think that has opened up for you uh, as just as practices? I don't know whether this is an intrinsic quality that I've had as a kid, but uh, or just ever since I was young or uh, um, but I think this playfulness, this this quality of like, let's play and see where it takes us. You know, it might get us into trouble. We'll course correct. But it's this curiosity. It's really, really fostered this curiosity in me. I'm so, I'm I'm really grateful for that quality. And the curiosity, do you sense that that's sort of a, a constant state within yourself? Or are there moments, for instance, where you're like, I'm not curious at all. I don't care. <laughs> no, absolutely. It definitely wavers, you know? when I feel like I'm in my flow, in my element, it's like bursting, you know? Um, but when I feel constrained and restrained, yeah, it's uh, it's like um, it's like a pressure cooker within me, you know? And <laughs> that, mm. that's, uh, I'm curious, how are you navigating moments of people having hurt feelings and moments where you're like, oh my gosh, this is really messy right now. How are you currently mm-hmm. navigating those moments? Like we all have those friends who, need to talk it out right some people just like need to talk 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 vent it out and uh and you never know you're just like "Uh, do you want me to give advice or just be here to hold space and I think it's really important for us to identify you know hey I'm gonna say something to you and I'm just gonna vent and I just I just need you to listen you know or hey I'm gonna vent and if you have any solutions I'd love to hear them you know Mm. but it's on the on the part of the person saying it as well as the listener to be like hey hey, hey, what do you want me to do with this you know because ultimately that's what we're doing when I think we're exteriorizing these internal processes you said so you mentioned one thing you like to do which is to say I'm venting I'm gonna vent how do you bring this um bring those practices you do with yourself into interaction with others during conflict I'm learning like I have to say like I'm really really learning I don't I so I don't think I'm, uh, sometimes I'm able to name it like, Hey, I just need, you know, a hug, or I just want to share the story with you, but I'm, yeah, I, I'm just trying to be more intentional, like putting the information out there, making sure everyone, you know, is on the same page and then, and then going from there. But yeah, it's, it's a process. Do you have a conflict you feel comfortable sharing and what you learned from that conflict perhaps? 
Ooh, um, yeah, which one? <laughs> so many options, hey? <clears throat> Let's take family. Uh, I think that's like a, a safer one it, because I can speak in general terms. But um, yeah, for, for a long time, I think I've tried to be play a certain role within my family like as the the connector you know bringing people together the the community person the the one who hears everybody out on their individual terms and and tries to patch uh you know relationships and you know the the diplomatic one right and more and more i'm just kind of learning to that that's a role that i've that i've played and that i want to just kind of step back and see how else I can have relationships with these people without necessarily inhabiting that role, you know, and just letting things be a little bit more. I don't know if I'm answering your question. I hear that there's, you had a role and that you're ready to shift the role. And I, I suppose the question was, have uh, an example of conflict. So I'm perhaps curious, has this role led to feelings of conflict either within yourself or with your family? Yeah, yeah, yeah within myself, like, for sure. I'm like, like to share? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, a, a recent conversation I had with my aunt where it's like typical, typical things, you know, like a lot of, uh, she, she talks a lot about her, her stuff and, and um, a former version of Monica would have been like, oh, here she goes again. And I've heard this story. Do you know that I've heard the story before? And what do you want me to do about this situation? I can't do anything about it. Like always kind of coming with this lens of, well, you're sharing this with me. So obviously you want me to do something with this information, right? And then, but recently I was just like, mm -hmm. just kind of like, just like, be there, just be there, just listen. That's it. That's it. And like the conflict arises from within. It's like, well, why do you want me to do this? <laughs> How can I help make this better? You know? And it's like, who said that you need to do anything? Who said that it, you are going to be the person to make things better? You know? And I, and I feel that as, as a facilitator too. I'm learning more and more. We feel like we need to a, kind of provide a container for the for the space and also kind of shape the interactions and the and model the energy that that comes into the space. It's all very important. But I'm also learning how to just how to balance that with like allowing through participants being active in whatever we're doing, just allowing that to take its own shape. So taking a step back and allowing their dynamics to naturally evolve. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I also, anyways, we can talk about this another day, but I also read, you know, Priya Parker's um, book. It's called The Art of Gathering. And in it, she makes this, she has this thesis of like, you know, the party, like those parties that you go to where the host is just so relaxed and it's like, you know, they allow the dynamics to, to, to set themselves. And she's like, those are the worst hosts because then what happens is the people who come into the room, like the, the ones with like maybe the more the alpha personalities take over, they can hijack conversations or, you know, it doesn't, it's not conducive to getting everybody involved and, you know, whatever. Um, so I think there's a time and a place for everything where you can provide enough structure and stuff, but it's, yeah, it's just learning how to how to identify what situation is appropriate for what kind of 
what kind of interaction or yeah mm -hmm. yeah that, that notion of balance is coming back in terms of because you could step just be like nah whatever take care of yourselves or it, it sounds like there's a little bit, but you could also be kind of too far forward trying to control everything and like what, what do i need to do what do i need to do uh this example with your aunt it it's it's for me it brings it's a beautiful conflict because uh and i like to use that word sort of a conflict partner because of that sense of you know you're dancing together and this kid, case one of the conflict partners is like oh like have i told you the story of and they begin telling this long-winded story and they're not really listening to, or caring whether you want to hear the story or if you're interested and then the other person you know a very natural reaction would be either to zone out get resentful to like okay what do you want me to do like there's all sorts of that initial sort of point there's all sorts of possibilities uh and i guess one option that you're sharing here is for you just to say i'm just going to listen i'm not going to do anything i'm not even going to give you any energy necessarily i'm just going to be here <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and like uh i actually read um Brene brown's book um daring greatly and in it she was defining the role of a social worker she's like social workers aren't there to and it's funny because i like, I feel like I've tried my role within my family has often been the social worker, right? That's the role I've given to myself. And that's also been placed on me, a variety of factors. But um, she's like, the, the role of a social worker isn't to fix problems. It's to like, uh, you know, create a space non-judgmentally for people to bring their shit into and to allow them to kind of work through their things of course with a variety of tools but to, to come to their own help to their to, to come to help themselves to empower themselves through you know working through that that situation so it's mm. I, I that really stuck with me and I was like and I really believe as deep down that people figure it out kids figure it out people figure it out like ultimately everyone will figure it out you know Ultimately, everything will be okay. Right, they don't need our intervention. <laughs> like, let me help you, save you. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really well explained, just the idea of, of the space. And I also, one thing that I practice that I definitely try and develop is to, when someone's about to begin sharing a long story, when I don't want to hear it, is to say, I don't want to, I'm sorry, I don't have space right now, or I don't want to listen to your story. And <laughs> And that's a hard, that's a hard space because the person is like, oh, my feelings are hurt and you don't have, you're not holding space for me and all these accusations. But actually it's that whole notion of boundaries. And yeah, I think that there's a, a beauty and just letting someone know I care about you and I don't have space right now in this moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, and it's so funny because this has gotten, this has gone into like, <laughs> well-being and mental health uh, just leave it to monica for it to go to these <laughs> to these places but um it's allowing our boundaries to coexist with our compassion and with our empathy and it's sometimes i feel as like uh, empathetic people we find it hard to establish a boundary because we're worried either about the other person's feelings or um we feel like it's some like it's too harsh or whatever it may be but I think that the two can coexist really, really well. And, and it's important to know what your boundaries are in order to show other people how they, they themselves can have those as well, mm -hmm. you know? And um, 
there's this notion, uh, Pema Chaudhran talks about it. It's like idiot compassion. <laughs> and it's, it, she says like, um, a lot of people, uh, you know, they, for, for if they practice kind of like, you know, Buddhist practices of like, you know, compassion and, and acceptance and all that stuff, they feel like they can't, um, put up boundaries, like cut, you know, like for example, cut out like a, a, a negative relationship or an abusive relationship or whatever it may be because of the empathy, the, the belief that they have of the goodness of the person. Ultimately, you know, it's like, Oh, I don't, I don't want to cut out this person because after all, they're a good father and they're, they're just trying and they have like a, you know, they had a hard upbringing and all this stuff, but it's like, no, like you need to place a boundary in order to elevate you know, the nature of your relationship within yourself and with the other person. So that boundaries actually elevate, they, they they don't separate, they actually cause the necessary or they lead to the necessary like learning. Mm. That they actually lift necessary. up. They yes. Yeah. Interesting. Yes, yes. I'm not, I'm not seeing it quite well, but anyways, you can look it up. It's called idiot compassion. And I found that I used that as an excuse a lot in the past. Like, oh no, I don't want to, you know, this person's not paying me enough, but like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too harsh because like, I, I know what struggles they, they have and, and uh, financially. And, and I just, you know, I want to make space for that, but it's like, no, you know, I, coming to place that boundary has enabled me to ask for what I think it is that my work and my time deserves. And, you know, and I don't know if that's a great example, but yeah. It's, you're, you're strengthening the relationship even though it exactly. looks, it looks like you're weakening it, it looks like you're cutting it, you're actually lifting it up. So there, that's a really, it's a, it's a counterintuitive thing. Like, how dare you be destroying this relationship? Like, oh, no, no, my friend, I'm strengthening it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's helped me understand being on the receiving end of that as well, you know? Um, yeah, it, it just, so much to learn, so much to learn through these. Mm. I wanted to ask you, by the way, uh, yes, we can talk about mental health and well-being, but I know you also have experience as a school teacher, and now you work uh, with people of all ages. So I wanted to ask you some of your top learnings just from working with children in terms of creating these spaces of aliveness and learning uh, that you've sort of taken over to your work as a learning designer. Wow, yeah. So my experience most recently with young children, like let's say elementary school age has been in supply teaching. So like, I like, um, I'm still an employee of different school boards in, in Montreal. And what I like to do is I like to go back in as a supply teacher, just to kind of see what the state of affairs is in our schools, especially our public schools. Cause I'm a public school kid myself and I'm an advocate for, you know, quality education, uh, injecting resources, time, respect, <laughs> <laughs> into that uh, that field and um yeah what what I've observed is like I used to like it would break my heart seeing how how much time in a day the kids would spend sit, sitting down when they're just like jittery little like alive beings you know they just want to move around <laughs> and during the pandemic when there were all these rules um and you know bubble classroom bubbles and all the all the rest like the kids were the best at applying them they're like no 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 our our lane literally the kids had lanes within the schoolyard where they could play it was 
it was something else as it was really something else and to no one's fault i'm just saying everyone was responding to the necessary measures uh so at recess they would have like a corner of the playground which is already pretty sad in and of itself because it's this like dry like a lot of the playgrounds if you've seen in montreal don't have in school courtyards are just like cement and chain link fences you know but they would be so good they'd be like no 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 arlene is here and you know they're really good at like maintaining order and and when there's structure given to them they like operating within that structure but i would see that there's this kind of pent-up frenetic energy and so i would always make sure to like integrate music and dance and uh and they would just go crazy they love like a lot of young kids love uh just dance um you know following these like easy choreographies and um so it was just it was more about allowing them to express and like release that energy that they have because i found that they were so good at containing it when it was asked of them hmm. so what i learned about kids that i'm bringing to learning design is that structure is good but also like bursting open the gates and letting things be chaotic and messy and and just anything that comes is also good you know mm. there's that there's that uh yeah that that balance in the chaos and the order and they they were doing the structure and the order really well and you're like oh, these kids need some like need some outward burst I, I definitely, I think with work, when working with groups, I think that there needs to be that notion of like a pinnacle or like a summit or like a point of emotional high, something where they're letting, they're really giving all their energy. Like if it was like a workout, for instance, if you don't get to the point where you actually have your heartbeat up, the, the work, the workout kind of falls flat. Mm-hmm. Um, and how, so what are some of the ways that you bring people to that, that sort of that pitch, that higher pitch state yeah. of like, let it out yeah i think i intentionally try to design like the climax of the experience you know like like kind of like in the plot structure traditional plot structure now plots are so creative and awesome that it's not following just this way but you have like an introduction rising action climax falling action you know conclusion landing type of thing i try to be intentional about where that climax or like you know, integrating a climax and also where it occurs mm. and for, for it to be integrated. And I, th- and I think physical embodiment is really important that we learn a lot through movement and it's important to get it into our, like the cells of our body, you know, not just through brain waves, theta, beta, whatever the heck, you know? Mm. Nice. I like the, it's like a, you're, the plot you're planning out the plot of the of the day or the, the weekend or whatever and planning a moment where there may or may not be a climax of sorts mm, that's a beautiful yeah and no there's there i try to really intentionally design for there to be one in every experience but what i would like to do in saying this out loud is like experiment with different plot structures like conclusion at the beginning and then like climax like i don't know like being playful with that because when we look at you know, different Netflix shows and stuff like that, we see that like they mix around the, the, the plot sequence, you know, there's so much creativity around that. Mm. And it still works. Like people are still able to like piece together the information, though it may be like cognitively taxing at times. It's like, you know, the 
like Ozark, for example, like you need to put in some kind of memory and like recall into all of that. And, you know, um, but yeah. Well, it, there seems like there's so many creative possibilities there because you could start, let's say you're doing a retreat. You could start saying, so this is the end of the retreat. We just had three days. You know, these are, look, let's write out all the things we've learned. And everyone just imagines all the things you've done at the beginning. And wow, I love this idea. You could totally go through that. You could have, like you were saying, like multi, each day could have its own sort of parallel groups, kind of stories that inter, you know, are interspliced like a, like a TV show. There's lots of creative possibilities there. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I wanted to, one, I had a couple, one more question I'll ask you if you'd like to add just around, I know you have, you are a singer and you are an improviser. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about what that's, um, yeah, what's that like improvising and singing with a group of musicians? What's that experience like for you? And also what are some of the things that you've learned um, that you've been able to sort of uh, feed into the rest of your life? Yeah. Um, I learned that the container and the space for improvisation has to feel safe and people have to feel like they're being supported. Um, there are a lot of improv nights, like musical improv nights and jam sessions around the city. And some of the contexts are a little bit more high caliber, professional, like we're here just to showcase talent type of stuff through improvisation. And that whereas others are really like, let's just jam, let's just catch a vibe and let's go, you know? Um, and with the Lotus Collective, that collective that I co-founded for female, femme, trans, non-binary musicians, that equity-seeking mandate that we had was to create spaces where people felt safe. And so I learned a lot from the co-founder, Marcel, about these things, but even how you receive people into a space beforehand, we would make sure that there was like often food, often just like light and like, you know, like upper opportunities for people to connect authentically. And all of that helps build the trust and, and that sense of safety. And then when you're improvising, people really do feel like they can just let it go because no one, you know, like they're, they're not afraid or so afraid of judgment. There's still so much anxiety. Even within these containers, there's still so much anxiety. Even on my part, I'm like, oh, I sucked. I like was flat there. I was terrible, whatever. But I realized that um, <clears throat> there has to be. So like my main takeaway from this is that um to provide the like the to to nurture the improvisation you have to properly nurture it beforehand during after very and career parker would be proud you can't just be like everyone come here let's improvise and some i mean <laughs> she talks about sorry i'm i'm like muting and unmuting myself because there are like church bells going off but she talks about how like your hosting begins before the event and and she's a little more anal about it. She's uh, like, you can send like questions and, you know, you can frame the discussions around the dinner table. You can have activities. I'm very much like that too. But, um, but yeah, for me, it's more, um, yeah, you can, you can just, you can switch it up, you know? Well, mm, yeah, totally. That's, um, there are so many, it seems like the ultimate space to try out and push your boundaries because it's improvised. And so you're up you know, by its very nature, you're, you're vulnerable because like you said, you could make, you could sing something flat. You could not know what to sing. You could, uh, you know, it's, you're very um, naked, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
Anything you'd like to add before we finish, uh, Monica? No, I'm, I'm so grateful for this discussion, Ez, and I just want to say that I'd love to have more with you, like, off air. <laughs> Let's do it, and I really appreciate all, it's so clear to me that you spend so much time thinking and experimenting um, in wellness, mental health, playing, teaching, so thank you so much for sharing some of your, your learnings and experiences with, uh, with me and us today. I'm, I'm so happy. Thank you so much for this opportunity, as I love what you're doing. A pleasure, a pleasure. Enjoy, enjoy, and we'll, we'll be in touch.